Hey church, good to be with you again. It's time to praise the Lord together. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that it's a communion weekend, so if you don't have any elements handy, would you please pause your device, your television, your phone, your Xbox? I don't know. I'd actually like to know what is the most outlandish device that people watch this on, but that's for another day. Anyway, pause that. Go get yourself some bread. Go get yourself a cup. We're going to serve communion later. Before we do that, we're going to honor the Lord, not only as the sacrificial lamb, but the lion of Judah who reigns and rules over all. Let's sing about him right now. You hold the reins on the sun and the moon. Like horses driven by kings You cover the mountains, the valleys below With the breath of your mighty wings All treasures of wisdom and things to be known Are hidden inside of your head And in this fortunate turn of events Ask me to be your friend. Ask me to be your friend. And you, you are my first, you are my last, you are my
now into a time of communion, but before we do, I want to read to you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. It says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we approach the communion table, we can't do it casually. And, and, and frankly, scripture does not encourage uh, those that do not have a relationship with Christ to take communion because of the seriousness of what it represents. And I was thinking about this scripture earlier today. And I just want to say this to kind of prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to sing one more song and then take together. But if you really look at the story of Christ, whatever injustice uh, there is in the world, whatever injustice there is in your life, uh, Christ has gone deeper into that injustice. He has been deeper into pain. He has been deeper into suffering, deeper into loss. Uh, and he didn't deserve any of it. He's the only one of us that didn't deserve what was coming to him. And that's kind of what makes communion so special is it acknowledges that only the perfect son of God suffering so unjustly was a sacrifice worthy of all of us of everything that's ever happened, everything that will ever happen, every sin that's ever been committed had to be covered by that. Um, so I offer that as a, as a thought, um, just to kind of get your head straight about what it is that we acknowledge when we take the bread and we take the cup. Let's sing together now in preparation. I hear the Savior say Thy strength in small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as Change the light. 
Hopefully you have your bread and you have your cup. This represents the body of Christ. As the scripture said, it was broken for you. His body was buried, it was dead, and it was re-knit together and rose on the third day. And we can rise with him. Let us commune. Remember the broken body of Jesus Christ. This unity, this oneness that we are offered with the creator of the universe came at an extreme price because he is perfect and we use our free will to not be perfect. So this cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled as a sin offering for everyone that ever lived. Drink and remember him this weekend. you are doing well on this Labor Day weekend and you are finding some AC with this steamy weather we got going on here. 
Well, hey, I want to give a shout out to all the kids out there. Hello, kids. I hope you are doing well. I know you are back to school, whether it is in person or on Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. I miss you. Love you. Keep going. You can do it. Well, our ABF staff team, we miss you and we hope you are doing well. So we'd love it if you would text us at 9700 and let us know how you're doing, how we can be praying for you. We just love hearing from you and knowing what's going on in your lives. So seriously, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a text. Well, we have a serving opportunity coming up in the next week. It's at the Caneo Valley Meal Program on um, Monday, September 14th. And you can go ahead and sign up on our website. You, uh, what we have is 10 meals, to-go meals that need to be delivered there. And we also have a whole bunch of food items that need to help restock the pantry. So if you wouldn't mind going on our website and signing up for that, that would be great. This is just such a way to bless our community that is seriously in need. So we'd love your help in this way. Well, just over one week from now, we are going to be kicking off our Awana year. It is our outdoor Awana program, and we're excited about that. That's going to be starting on Tuesday, September 15th. And, you know, Awana is our discipleship program that is for preschoolers all the way through middle school and high school. And, man, we just believe that this is the opportunity for kids to get rooted in Jesus Christ and learn God's word. Man, in a time like this, kids need the Lord more than ever. So we'd love for you to sign up. And we believe in this program so much that we're making it for free for new families or any families that have experienced economic hardship during this season. So if you wouldn't mind, sign up now and go to our website. There's more details there if you're interested. Well, we've got an announcement for the men. We have a golf tournament coming up, and that is on September 23rd, 3rd at Moore Park Country Club. So men, bonding time, get on the course together. It's going to be great. You can find more information on our website and register there. Uh, I'm super excited about this one for the women. It is happening on Saturday, September 26th. It is our women's one-day retreat. And so we're looking forward to all the women getting together in our courtyard and just having a great day where we can dive deep into God's Word. Kathleen Kegel is going to be coming and teaching uh, on the topic of gentleness, and we're going to have some extended worship. We're just really excited to get together. So if you wouldn't mind... Uh, go on our website and sign up for that as well. Well, this is the time in a, our service where we get a chance to give back our offering. And as many of you know, we have kind of been falling behind. And so, you know, we as a staff, we would just love it if you would prayerfully consider what your part could be in just helping us uh, meet our budget this year. So easy ways to give is through our app or on our website or even mailing in a check. We would so appreciate that. Well, let's just take a moment and uh, come to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just, we just thank you. We love you. We thank you for this church home that we have and just so many opportunities that we have in our community and for us through these events to be built up in you. And so Jesus, we ask that you would use these events, these programs, the Iwana ministry to build us up, to be deeper connected to you. Because God, that's what we need. That's what we desire, to be connected to you. Lord, we love you, and we just pray um, a blessing 
over our people, over our church, and God, that you would guide us and you would lead us even through the storms that we're going through. We love you and we commit these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one more thing. Last Sunday, we had an amazing service, and at the end of it, we celebrated baptism. We were able to see life change through so many people through the demonstration of baptism. So we put a video together so you could celebrate along with those folks. So here it is. This is a decision that they've made to follow Jesus Christ, and now they're wanting to proclaim that to the world and say, well, I'm choosing to follow Jesus from this point forward. the growing pains that God has provided in my life. I thank God for all of them. Um, I'm just so grateful for the life that I have today. Um, and getting baptized, I just want it to be a declaration of my acceptance. I've always been a Christian. I just, this is my home and I want to show that I'm home. This is where I, will, I choose to be baptized as an adult making an irrational decision. Here is where I choose to make my stand. It's awesome. Of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Greetings, church, and uh, hopefully you're blessed and encouraged by seeing some of the highlights of the baptism service. I know that was just a, a beautiful time together as a church family, and excited now just to continue in our study in the book of John. We're in chapter two, if you want to start turning there, and I've titled this message, Much More Than Party Tricks, and hopefully that'll make sense as we progress. A little confession as it relates to our, our title is uh, just recently, in the last couple of weeks, my kids have introduced me to the whole, a whole new world, the world of TikTok. And that is a confession because I know there's a lot of garbage to avoid on that, but I find it kind of fun because they're showing me how you can choose different areas of interest. And based on that, they suggest videos that they think you're going to like. And I found that they're like spot on. They like nail it every time so often, whether it's a superhuman trick, whether it's a cool car video. Uh, but honestly, my very favorite out of all all of them are the trick shots. Does anybody watch some of this? Uh, Dude Perfect is legit. Like the things that they're able to pull off, I don't know if it's trick photography and I'm just getting suckered or what, but either way, I definitely smashed that like button. All right, now there I've just exposed uh, that I'm becoming a, a teenager. And really what I understand about how all of this works is that it all goes by likes. It literally, a whole world goes by how many people like something because they're able to monetize popularity. 
They're able to figure out how to use advertising and to, to get resources coming in because of the amount of people following, the amount of likes that are there. That's how our whole social media world seems to work. And I'm afraid when you think about paralleling that to uh, the stu our studies in scripture, that a lot of times that lens in which we see things can be brought into the way in which we even see the church or God's word. When we look at different stories and accounts of Jesus through the gospels, you can start to think of what was he doing? Was he just trying to build a bunch of fans, a bunch of followers, get a, a lot of likes? But it's actually just the opposite of that. In fact, it's more of a rescue mission that we're seeing captured in scripture. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the purpose of the book of John. It's explained by John himself, the author, in John 20, 31. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So he came to offer rescue. He came to offer a new life in him, and it comes from faith and belief in who he is. So this entire book of John is a collection of evidences. It's making a case for Jesus being who he claims to be. And this week is really just the start of all of that. It's the introduction of the turning water into wine. It's kind of showing in all of these different accounts through the book of things that only God could do. Only God could do. Is, it, is this something that somebody that you know could do? A, a trick that they could pull off, that they could bypass time and create 120 plus gallons of wine without grapes, without a fermentation process? Do you know anybody? I don't know anyone. Let me pray before we dive into this section of scripture today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what we're about to read and what it reveals about who you are, your divinity, which changes everything. It changes the lens in which we see our life, the, the lens in which we see eternity, because we recognize that you came to rescue us. God, I pray that you'd make yourself real and that you'd be just vibrant, that you'd be alive and working in our time in your word, that this wouldn't uh, grow, the story wouldn't grow old because it's something we've heard, but you'd bring it new life, that you'd breathe energy into our time now. We pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. So where are we at kind of in the whole storyline? Basically so far in the book of John, we've had an introduction of Jesus by John himself. And then we had John the Baptist do his introduction to the masses by introducing him as the Messiah, the Lamb of God that they've been waiting for. Then last week, we saw an introduction that Jesus did to a few individuals where he invited specific disciples, six in fact, to start to come and follow him, to come and see what he's about. Now we're in day three of his public ministry and it all kicks off with a pretty cool at a pretty cool place at a wedding feast. Take a look at, with me at chapter two, verse one. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. All right, so it's kind of setting the stage here. Let me explain a little bit of what's happening. Basically, this is the only gospel account that tells this story. And it mentions that it's the third day. So all of these things are happening in a really short period of time. 
You notice the location is in Cana, which is kind of cool because how we ended last week was God or Jesus promising Nathaniel that he would see greater things than this. So he's in Nathaniel's hometown at a wedding about to do something that Nathaniel's going to be blown away with. Basically, this was about, Cana was about 10 miles from Jesus' Jesus's hometown of Nazareth. And it was known for being a, a smaller town. Basically, Nazareth had about, a, about 500 people living it. And Cana would be estimated to be more in the 100-person range. So if there's a wedding or an event in that town, it's not like it goes by unnoticed. It's something that the whole town knew about. It would be it talked about. It would be an exciting event for everybody involved. So the question that you might have, who's showing up here, he's got his mom, he's got his disciples. Why would he choose this to be the place that he begins his public ministry or his public demonstrations of who he is to the world around him? First, I would suggest is the importance of the event. There's a sanctity to this ceremony. Weddings, in other words, matter. Public covenant matters. Societies that honor weddings and honor marriage, man, they're, they're blessed and they're fruitful. Societies that don't, they derail and unhinge as we see currently in our present world. Second reason why it may have been a, a wedding in which that he introduces himself is because it was really a dress rehearsal for the kingdom of God. So often in scripture, Jesus is really clear painting this beautiful picture of him being the the, the bridegroom and the church being the bride. It's a, a picture that people could understand that made sense when he's trying to help them understand what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. It's kind of like the perfect day, if you will. Ladies dream of this day starting as little kids and it all builds up with tons of detail. Anyone who's married can most likely still re remember specific details from their wedding. I can honestly, 21 years later, remember so many things. Who was, who was there, what we ate, some of the funny things that happened, even some of the, the conversations. And of course, my beautiful bride, there's a picture of uh, a younger Adrian. And uh, uh, there was just an awesome day of celebration. And really, I would suggest that's why our king, that's why Jesus is like, man, I want something that's so beautiful to use that as a, as a means to highlight who I am. The third reason I would suggest why it happened at a wedding is because basically up until now, Jesus has been living in obscurity for the past 30 years. This is a chance for him to demonstrate who he is to all of his friends, his family, those who are closest to him. It's really setting the stage of a perfect place for Jesus to be on display. Look at verse three, how it plays itself out. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So a number of things to talk about in this uh, section of scripture. First off, I'm wondering Something that how you, somewhat how you respond when I say a particular word. So we're going to try this and you can tell me what's the emotional response when you hear this word. When I say the word alcohol, what comes to mind? 
I don't know. For you guys, my, my group here is just being silent. I imagine there's some thoughts they're afraid of saying something they shouldn't say in front of the pastor. But, but either way, some of us, when we say the word alcohol, a lot of things come to mind that are positive. You can picture the idea of enjoying a nice glass of, my, of wine with a, a meal, maybe a sipping on a beer in a Caribbean hammock. I don't know what it is for you. A lot of times it's a, a positive thing that's associated. Maybe for current moms, how you make it through current online schooling. I don't know what it is uh, for you, but some people it's a positive view, but more often than not, I would propose that it's a negative. It's a negative thing when I say the word alcohol. Somebody thinks of maybe a, a parent or somebody they cared about who was an alcoholic, maybe some regrets about some decisions that were made after over drinking. Maybe somebody that's lost somebody that you care about because of a, of, of a, a drunken driver. I don't know, I would suggest that with that word comes a wide range of responses. So with that, you have to ask in this topic, I don't know how I can make it through this section of scripture to at least asking the question, well, what does God's word say about drinking? What does it say about alcohol? I feel like there's some practicals in this. When you first start reading this text, it seems like a pretty clear endorsement of it. They're at a wedding, they're running low. We're about to see Jesus add to, the, add to the, the drinking options. So you would see that that would, of course, that's the endorsement of drinking. Here's some important things to understand about how drinking uh, looked different then than it does now. In that day and age, it was a staple drink. It was made of fermented fruit, basically mostly out of wine, mostly out of grapes, but other fruits as well. I was reading a little bit about it this last week, and because of their lack of refrigeration, it was an option uh, for a drink that just was something that would quench their thirst. It was often uh, water, in fact, was dangerous without fermentation attached to it. The different things that were in the water, this was a means of purifying water. It was very different from what we drink today. The wine itself was often uh, diluted by one to 10 water versus wine or one to three at the very most. So here, what we're currently dealing with is a drink that was used as a staple because it was necessary as a means to quench thirst rather than necessarily a means to get drunk. And so when they didn't have it at the party, that would be like saying, hey, we have nothing for anybody to drink. So the question is still, well, what does scripture, how does it relate today to that? Even though it was a lesser amount of alcohol as it is today, it still had the exact same risks. We see in Ephesians 5, 8, that it clearly directs us not to be drunk with wine. Most believers can agree with that as, a, as kind of a, a mandate in scripture. It's kind of hard to skirt your way around it. It's something that we're called to not being drunk, not over drinking, not being buzzed, not losing our ability or control to, to be able to uh, determine what our actions are. So not being drunk with wine. But then Proverbs 23, 32, I've talked about that before as well, warns us that it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. So, is it permissible? Sure, as long as you don't get drunk. But the question that's probably more important as we deal with alcohol is, is it profitable? I've never heard somebody say, you know, when I drink, I think a lot more clearly. 
I make better decisions. I, I better reflect Jesus Christ in my actions. I really don't ever hear that conversation. So the question that I have is say, just because it's permissible, is it beneficial? Is it something that actually brings the best out of who we are? So I would suggest it's more of a wisdom issue. I would say that it's something that comes with a pretty intense warning label. I don't know if you've seen this before, maybe a, a, one of the commercials for some kind of a, a cream or some kind of a pill that's on, on and about 25% of the ad is talking about how it's gonna be a benefit. And then the next 75% of it talks about all the terrible things that are gonna happen. We know we have this new hydro cream that's going to take away your dry skin but it has the potential of lung disease, heart disease, and most likely, likely you'll have a limb fall off. You're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Or they're doing this while someone's riding a bike. And, and here's the idea. The same picture is true, I would propose, with drinking. For each of us to wrestle through our convictions with that, but also asking some tough questions. What is something good that comes from it? All right, I'll get off of my soapbox with that, but my overall idea is, if anything, if at all, tread lightly. It's found, uh, uh, as we continue in the story, it's important to understand the dilemma that they're facing. The dilemma that they're facing is a big one for this family that's involved with the wedding, more specifically for the groom himself. You see, when someone gets in, engaged or betrothed, that idea is a betrothal or an engagement period often would last one year. And in that one year period of time, one of the responsibilities of the groom would to be able to demonstrate his ability to care for his bride. So some of the things that he'd be involved with would be either building a house or more often even adding a room to his parents' house. Parents, how would you like that idea? But here is the idea was, proving that he was worthy of caring for this girl that he's about to commit to. This celebration would be a part of that as well, as far as pulling together details, providing for the resources needed. So him running out of wine would have been a complete social disaster. It wasn't something you could just run over to Vons and pick up some more. This would have been an embarrassment to himself in his family. So Mary brings the dilemma to Jesus, brings it to him. And, and a lot of people suggest that, well, maybe M Mary had seen Jesus do other miracles before this. Maybe this is a, a plea for miracles. That's possible. But I would suggest maybe the more likely is this. Joseph is nowhere to be seen in the scene here. Most likely he would have been mentioned if he was. All the, way, all the way the rest of the story of Jesus, there's nothing that mentions his existence. And even at Jesus's death, you'll notice that Jesus calls out to John to take care of his mother, which wouldn't be necessary if Joseph was still alive. So more likely than that, Mary was a single mom. And who do you think this single mom would go to whenever things were difficult to ask for wisdom? Who do you think she would go to? Are you kidding me? If you haven't had a child that was God in the flesh, don't you think you would lean into that? He never had a bad idea in his life. A lot of us think that about ourselves. He literally did it. Never came up with a dumb suggestion. In fact, whatever he would propose would be the ideal way in any circumstance. So I would propose that in this circumstance, Mary's saying, you know what? Uh, he's never failed me before. I'm going to Jesus with this dilemma looking for the perfect solution. 
Now, you might not know this, but this is where the Catholic Church gets the idea of going to Mary to get to Jesus. It's interesting, though, that this is the only place in the New Testament where Mary approaches and asks Jesus for something and notice Jesus' response, a rebuke. So there goes that theology. But instead, what is up with Jesus' response? Look at it again. Woman, what does this have to do with me? I strangely hear Chris Rock in his high voice saying, woman, what does this have to do with me? I don't know. Was that good? That was bad. I, I talked about it before. But, but here's, the, I, here's the idea that I have is that this, th- this was a, a strange response. Now, a lot of guys are listening to this and they're like, you know what? I just found a new life verse. I'm adopting that. I'm using that from here on forward. But all joking aside, there is question, what was happening there? It's interesting to me though, tone in which you say something. Because when you say that tenderly, it can be completely different. If you're saying, woman, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with me? There's a a difference in that. That's why tone matters. That's why writing things on Facebook, you have to be so careful of tone because it can be misread. But most theologians see this as Jesus distancing himself from from the mother-son relationship that they've had up until now. This is Jesus starting to move on and be more intentional about following his father's business. The road that he's about to go on would be very difficult for Mary to endorse or be behind. So this is a separation many would propose. But his mom noticed in his response, her response, knew that this day was coming. And instead of arguing with them, instead tells the servants to do whatever it is that he asks. Do whatever it is that he asks. I find it cool because we're about to see a little bit of the trend that I mentioned last week in the sermon, this idea of an introduction, an encounter, and a, cho- and, a, and a choice. This group of servants is about to be introduced to Jesus. Maybe they already knew him. They're about to have an encounter with Jesus, and then they're going to have a choice in how they respond. I find it really, really cool that Jesus is doing this. He's about to do this miracle behind the scenes and he's starting with very first group of people that he's revealing himself to is this group of servants at the wedding. What does that tell us about our God? What does that tell us about what he thinks about social classes and separation? Absolutely nothing. He goes to the lowest on the spectrum first to introduce himself. Look at verse six, how it plays out. It says, now there were six stone jars, water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. All right, we'll stop there. This kind of an interesting uh, interaction here. First off, to be clear on what's happening when it says these pots were used for purification, basically they would be what was used to wash your hands and feet. So kind of some gross water uh, dealing with there, in and out, splashing and and some uh, nasty stuff. But here it's stone water, stone jars, which would have been more than earthen vessels that it would have been able to keep the purity of new water in it. So he tells them to do something specific, to draw water in these six stone jars. 
And he gives us a sense of how much water this is because he says how much of it holds. So in those, in those jars, you would have been looking at 120 to 180 gallons of water. Now, if you're filling up some water from a, from a well, would that be an easy task or an amazingly difficult task? If it's a few servants that are doing that, I mean, that would be a big deal. First off, bringing it down to the well and then putting enough water to get 120 gallons in. This was a pretty impressive feat of faith for these servants. Think about it. Jesus wasn't their known master. Jesus hadn't identified himself to the masses yet. And so when he's making a request, they're having to act out in faith. I love that about most encounters with Jesus is it demands some level of faith. Still today, it's true. Even for us Jesus followers during this time period, I'd suggest we're getting all kinds of faith testing opportunities. Anybody had some of those in the last three or four months? I know I sure have just asking tough questions like what's the church life supposed to look like during this? Will people ever come back to church? How do you plan? How do you budget? All of these things that I have to wait on him, that I have to seek him, that I have to listen to his leadings. All the things basically I've been preaching for us to do, now I have to apply. That's no fun, but in all seriousness, it's been a stretching season for me. What's it been like for you? What faith exercises have you been asked as it relate to job stuff, school stuff, politics stuff, state of our world stuff? I don't know what he's stretching you in, but I'm confident that he is. And all we're asked to do is the same thing that he's asking them to do. Just do what you're asked. Listen to his voice. Ask him, seek him, respond when he nudges you. So what does it say that they did? It says that they filled them up to the brim. In other words, complete obedience. And that wasn't the end of the faith exercise. What's the next thing that's being asked of them? And they also had to trust him by bringing the water to the master of the feast. So in other words, they had to dip water out of the foot cleaning jar and take it over to the master and serve it to him as a drink. Do you think there's anything with that that could have been uh, going terribly wrong? If, if it would have been, what, what are you doing? You're trying, to, you're trying to feed me foot water? Like what's happening? So another exercise of faith, obviously here in verse nine, it works out all right though. It says, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn it, the water they knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. When people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. You see, here the wine that Jesus made was better than anything they had had up until this point. I think the takeaway lesson for that is when we actually turn things over to him, when we finally release things, when our grip comes off of it, God's like, ah, now I can do something way better than you ever imagined and hoped for. I love seeing how this plays out because the master of the house, what does he do? He goes to the bridegroom. I imagine the bridegroom was already aware of the situation that they were running low on the drinks. And so when he tastes this, he says, hey, this is the good stuff. 
well, you've been holding out on me, maybe messing with him a little bit. I imagine the bridegroom's mind is just blown. He doesn't have all of the answers because up until now, typically in a wedding, the way it would work is they'd bring out the nicer stuff first. And then as people have had a, a, a few drinks, then comes out the two buck chuck, you know, the cheaper stuff. They're introduced them to that. And it's a little bit easier for them to palate. But here he's saying, you brought out the very best for last. I imagine this scene, and I think this is important for each of us. I imagine Jesus sitting back in the, the corner watching this whole thing play itself out with a, a little grin on his face, maybe looking over at the servants and giving a little bit of a nod and seeing how all of this, what had been a, a dilemma, what was a drama, which seemed unsolvable, Jesus got to encourage, got to bless, got to be a, a meet a specific need. I think it's important for us when we're reading through these different accounts of scripture to visualize what it would have been like to be there. What it was like to see Jesus after he'd done a drastic thing like that. What that would have been like. The reason why is because we're still following the same Jesus today. The same Jesus that wants to meet us at our place of need. The same Jesus sitting by with a smile saying, it's gonna be all right, kid. We've got this covered. That's the Jesus that we're introduced to in the gospel of John. Look at their response in verse 11. It says, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum and his mother and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there for a few days. We'll pause there and that's where we're gonna end this week with a section of scripture, but we're seeing the impact that was hoped for. Remember, John said, we wrote this so that people would believe. And we see the immediate response that his glory was manifest. This was the first of the signs. It was on display and the response was, whoa, faith grown, faith grown. We had already seen that the disciples had believed in him prior to this, but now we're seeing little introductions, more and more revealed of who he is. And kind of like Aslan, the more you get to know, the bigger he becomes. We had a kind of an interesting thing because it says here that they went on to Capernaum. And a couple of years ago, Adrian and I were in Israel. Our time in Capernaum was probably the most impactful of our stretch there in Israel. We got to walk around this town and it's amazing in Israel how much they've been able to reconstruct what the, the city was actually like, the actual temple where the Jesus would have been, would have taught, would have sat. Here's a, a picture of Adrian actually sitting in the room and you can see the details of the walls and the pillars and all of the things. And there's something about that. When I was in that space, just saw, uh, emotions came over me of just like, whoa, I'm in the very space, the very room that Jesus, God in the flesh would have been in. Each one of us has some kind of a story of when God revealed himself to, when the encounter happened and when your faith was solidified, when it went deeper, when it got grounded. And my hope is in the study of God's word, in the study of these stories, as we get to know them more and more and see encounter after encounter, as it bolsters the faith of the disciples, that it actually bolsters the faith of these disciples. Because be, to be honest, it was much more than a party trick. Let me pray as we wrap up.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this section of scripture and the reminder of who you are. Things that can't be done by humans, demonstrating who you are, your identity, that you're God in the flesh, come down to be amongst us. And you didn't do it in a manner to try to build a, a mass crowd or followers. You wanted to introduce it gradually so that it could take root, so that faith would happen and have deep roots. My prayer is for that, for our church. We're going through this challenging season that our roots would dig deep, that we wouldn't be swayed and uh, redirected by the chaos, the chaos that we're surrounded with, that we would hold tight to the King of Kings, the Lamb of God, the one who revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this chance to be together and to study your word. We're forever grateful for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. tempest roar We cannot win this fight Inside our rebel hearts We're laying down our weapons now We raise our
Thank you, worship team, for leading us. So grateful for that. Well, my hope as usual, if there's any way we can serve you this week, any way we can come alongside of you, feel free to reach out. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an amazing week.